Let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into God's word together. Father God, we, we are so privileged to gather to praise your name. And truly, as I, as I hear those words that I've heard since I was a child, great is thy faithfulness, Lord. What, what a faithful God you've been to all of us. God, that despite our circumstances, despite all of the ups and downs of life, God, you are faithful. And so God, we ask you to help us to really believe that, to take that to heart, Lord, and that we would see that in your word this morning. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, this past year has been many things for sure, but one of the things it's, it's done is really, I would say, massively increased how much media content that we all consume. I know those first two weeks when the, the shutdown first happened, everyone kind of just went home and ate way too much food and watched way too much Netflix. But over this period of time, we've had a lot of time at home, a lot of time to ourselves, and you can see the stats on all these different media companies that have made a lot of money and can show how much content we're consuming. And I mean, this day, in this day and age, I'm sure you agree with me, there's way too many streaming options. I know early on, like when I was in high school, you had like Netflix, which was this awesome, awesome thing that came out of nowhere. And now you pay more for all these streaming services than you would for a cable bill. Basically, it's like, it's like $400 if you were to actually pay for all these different streaming services. And kind of with all these options, too many options, if you're like me, I tend to love research and planning and choosing things carefully. So um, with, all these, with all these options, I tend to just go to Rotten Tomatoes or ask my film buff friends like Tyler Welch, what should I watch? What's good? What, what's gotten a 95% or above so that I don't waste my time? I'm not watching you know, three movies a day. And so if I'm going to watch something, I want to make sure I know what am I getting myself into? I don't want to waste my time. But when you do that, when you just kind of pick and choose too much, you can miss some really awesome things that maybe you know a bunch of old dudes in suits didn't say was good, uh, but is some great content. So I discovered one of those recently. I came home from work and my wife Allison was watching Survivor, which I have never watched before and did not realize that had been going on for like 40 seasons or something crazy like that. And I just kind of walked by, was looking at the TV, and something about the combination of, you know, the, the competition shows that I like, like Top Chef and, and Chopped, but with some social engineering and some American Ninja Warrior, kind of all that stuff together came together, and I, I was hooked. I was in, like, two minutes in. I really like the, the physical and the mental challenges people go through, and it's kind of cool that it's this all-inclusive experience where a lot of reality TV is sort of like a side thing in someone's life. But here it's, it's unscripted and these people are here. They're here together for the whole time. It's, it's pretty much an all-in experience for 39 days if you haven't seen the show, uh, trying to see who can survive, who can outwit, outplay, outlast one another. And good or bad, you can kind of see, um, people get really into this if you've never watched it. I mean, it, it can get pretty nasty, but I think it's pretty funny because I, you see adults reverting to the playground versions of themselves with their little separate, separate crews and their alliances and trying to get rid of people they don't like and the pettiness that comes out. I, I think it's hilarious. But the reason they do it is because a million dollars is at stake. So they're willing to give up sometimes their jobs, leave their families. They're here for 39 days to try to win that million dollars. And people do some crazy things to ju and justify it because they're trying to get to that end. But I think that's really what a compelling pursuit does. When there's something that we really value, something at the end of, uh, end of an effort that matters to us, we are willing to, to put everything else aside and to go all in because it's worth it. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and we're going to watch him as he calls his disciples, and he invites them to go all in on something, to put everything else aside for a grand purpose that is worth it to them. In Mark 1, 14 through 20, we're going to see three things about following Jesus, kingdom hope, gospel purpose, and costly obedience. 
Now in Mark 1, 14 through 15, look with me, it says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, if you've been in this series with us and you've been paying attention to Mark so far, he is pretty quick and to the point. Mark is really, actually, it's the shortest of all four uh, of the gospels. And elsewhere, if you're looking at the same, same stories, same, same situations, you'll often find much more rich and detailed language, a lot more descriptors, longer versions of conversations. But in Mark, it's really, really straight to the point. Uh, a chief example of this are the two verses prior to our passage this morning that include the temptation of Jesus. You know, it barely got mentioned in the sermon last week because Mark doesn't really tell us anything about it. There's not a whole lot there to focus on. He pretty much just says, yep, Jesus was tempted by Satan for 40 days, but he's still Jesus, so it's all good, and then moves on. And that's really about all we get from him. And though I think sometimes we want more details at times, Mark provides a brevity that leads to a really clear narrative in the story of Jesus Christ. And Mark moves quickly and doesn't waste time. But that means that what he does say, it's really important for us to pay attention and listen to because there's not a whole lot of fluff there, if you will. So right off the bat here, we see some key information in the story. First, he says that John the Baptist has been arrested. So like the many messengers and prophets that came before Jesus, his time is up. But this time, Unlike all of these other prophets and messengers, Jesus isn't some sort of kind of super distant hope because Jesus is here. He has come. And at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, his first stop, Mark will tell us, is traveling to Galilee. So Jesus is here and he has a clear message that he starts to preach in verse 15. It says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Many commentators will call this particular passage the keystone message of Mark because it's from the mouth of Jesus Christ itself. And I think, at least for me, growing, I grew up in the church. I've been a believer for a long time. Words like this kind of just sound really familiar. It's the gospel message. Yeah, yeah, the kingdom's at hand, repent and believe. It's easy to kind of just gloss over it and move on, especially in a narrative like this. But I think that unfortunately leads us to not feel the weight of what these words really meant in this day and age that we're looking at here. So what would have been like when Jesus first came? He first spoke and first preached. I think we need to pause for a moment and think about the audience that received Jesus's message here. So I want you to imagine yourself with me traveling back to the day of Christ. I want you to think with me about who these people are, what their experiences were like, and what their perspective probably was. Now, these are people who, for generations, their family, this people of God, they've been waiting literally thousands of years for a savior. Generation upon generation, they've been hearing the prophecies about Jesus, teaching them to their children, and then ultimately dying and not seeing those promises come true over and over and over. And all the while, as we see here, they don't have a kingdom of their own. They are under the rule of the Roman Empire. So they're lo- they've been longing for a savior to save them from their circumstances. They've been longing for something more than what they have, and they've been under oppression for a long time. And if we're paying any attention, again, when Mark tells us that John the Baptist is in prison, what do you think that would mean to them? How do you think that that would hit them? You know, a lot of these people had probably been hearing John preach about Jesus, had been following him. And now they find out that John's been arrested. He's in prison. How safe do you think you would feel if you were them? They might be asking questions like, if God's kingdom is coming, then 
what is the explanation for this broken world around us? When is this ever going to be remedied? When is this going to get better? Are we safe? Should we have followed John? Are we going to get found out and be arrested too because we were going and hearing him? Are we next? The message that Jesus brings here, it's coming to a group of people that probably are struggling with hope, struggling to believe that, that a savior is coming for them, that things will really ever change in their lives. There are people who are probably feeling beaten down, discouraged and afraid, especially after John was arrested. They're familiar with these prophecies about a savior, but I think at a certain point, year after year, generation after generation, it can feel stale or it can feel like that hope is is really small, that it'll actually come true. So I want to read the words of Christ again, with all of that in mind, with these people in mind. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is a huge deal to them because Jesus is here. A savior is actually here. It's actually happening. Everything they've heard, generation after generation, it's coming to fruition. There is a savior before them in the flesh. And when Jesus says to them, the kingdom is at hand, we need to feel the weight of that statement. You know, I don't think we're that dissimilar to the people of Israel in Jesus's time just considering where we are today. I think we're kind of bogged down. We're exhausted. We find ourselves in what many have described as a year-long winter. Kind of feels like there's been a dark cloud over us that's just made life complicated, made life difficult for so long. It's been a long year. It's been discouraging. It's been divisive. And I'll speak from personal experience here. I keep longing for some type of hope that it's going to be over, that things are going to go back to normal, quote unquote. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And then it feels like that light just kind of gets put out really quickly with some bad news or a surge or whatever else. It's really exhausting, that cycle. And I think this is certainly true, obviously, now during a global pandemic, but we've all experienced that feeling in different lives or different ways and at different times in our lives. And as I look out to this group of people that I love dearly, I just think of some of your stories this past year and, and, and even in your past in your history, emotional exhaustion from isolation, depression and anxiety, the pain of betrayal from someone that you love and trusted, devastating setbacks in your career or in your education, the loss of hours at work or losing your job altogether, or a scary diagnosis and worrying about what's gonna happen next, or even losing a loved one. And I just want to tell you, you're not alone. We're all exhausted. I'm tired. Our staff is tired. I know you're tired. The Israelites were tired. We all need hope today. And the good news is that, as Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. Jesus has come. His kingdom is at hand. Our Savior has come to save us. And there is new life in his name. There is hope for us in the sorrow, and there is light in the darkness. I think we need to continue to receive that gospel hope and that gospel message over and over again. Even if it feels overly familiar, even if you hear it a lot, it's important for us to continue talking about it because we need that hope to sustain us and we need to be reminded of it. We need renewed joy in our lives and we need to be driven back to Jesus rather than over-focusing on the difficulties of our circumstances or having kind of our face in the mud of our world. The kingdom of Christ is here. And that brings us to our first point this morning. Following Jesus brings kingdom hope. Look with me back in Mark, starting in verse 16. Mark says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
So we know that Jesus preached his message in Galilee, and there's likely a crowd of people there, some of whom probably heard from John the Baptist or went and saw John the Baptist prior. And in verse 16, we see that Jesus walks alongside a beach at the Sea of Galilee. And this is where we have our first two characters in the story, the fishermen brothers, Simon and Andrew. There's just two brothers. They're in the middle of their workday fishing. And Jesus finds them in pretty normal everyday circumstances. We, we know obviously that fishing was their trade. And so that probably was their source of provision. This is how they survived. This, these, this is their jobs. They aren't special or influential people. They aren't highly educated or super wealthy or powerful. And we also know they don't have a boat. So they have to fish right off of the shore. They're just a couple of brothers fishing at work. Look with me at verse 17, what Jesus says to these two brothers. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus doesn't really waste any time, does he? He's pretty straight and, and to the point with them. He walks right up and says, I'm calling you to follow me. Jesus is on a very clear mission and we see this throughout the book. That he has a very sober-mindedness about him. There's an urgency to what he does. And the first two words out of his mouth are an invitation to these guys, follow me. So Jesus clearly establishes himself as the authority. He's the subject here. And he's, he's saying he's the only one qualified to just walk up to someone and tell them to follow him. He, he carries a great deal of spiritual authority with him. But I think what's incredible is who he chooses to call first. Because again, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, they're not qualified men. They're not authoritative or powerful men. He starts with very unexpected, unglamorous people to ask to be his disciples first. As Travis mentioned a few weeks ago, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is upside down. It doesn't look the way that we would think it would look. And we're going to continue to see that as Jesus lives out his days in the book. He just doesn't choose to do things the way that we would. I think if it was us, we would think you're starting your ministry. Let's go grab people of power and influence, local leaders or members of wealthy families, people who can really make things happen. Yet, these are the people he chooses. These two men of very humble means and Jesus moves towards them and he meets them exactly where they are with a call to follow him and a call to become fishers of men. Now, this phrase fishers of men, it's really important for us to, to pay attention to because it serves a dual purpose. And first we're gonna see in, in the, the book that David Garland wrote going over the book of Mark, he helps us understand the first purpose, which is a historical one. He says, Old Testament prophets used this metaphor for gathering people for judgment. And one should not assume that Jesus uses fishing as a benign reference to mission. When the fisherman hooks a fish, it has a fatal consequence for the fish. Life cannot go on as before. This image fits the transforming power of God's rule that brings judgment and death to the old, yet promises a new creation. The disciples are called to be agents who will bring a compelling message to others that will change their lives beyond recognition. Jesus' call has the same effect on them. Now, this metaphor of fishing, it directly connects to Old Testament prophecies. Jesus is inviting them to be part of the mission to usher in his new kingdom and the promise of a new creation for mankind. This will change their lives forever, as it will with those that they share the gospel with. Now, this isn't just an Old Testament throwback, though. There's two purposes here. Jesus could have walked up to them and said, hey, follow me. I want to make you shepherds of my sheep. There are a lot of different metaphors Jesus uses when he talks to his disciples about what it is that they're doing. Instead, Jesus shares the gospel with them in a way that would, they would not only understand, but in a way that directly relates to their lives. They're quite literally 
fishing. <laughs> they are fishermen looking to provide for themselves and to make money and to eat. They're pursuing something to account for their needs and, and their daily purpose and probably a sense of who they are is tightly wrapped around being fishermen. It's what they do. But Jesus comes to them and he invites them into an entirely new pursuit. Rather than living their lives catching fish, literal fish, which don't last very long and you have to continually do it over and over and they don't have any long-term significance, Jesus calls them to seek after a greater mission, to become fishers of men, which men, God's creation, men and women have an eternal significance. You know, one of my favorite books these past five years that I've read is a book called Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. There's a lot of great content in this book, but really the main theme of the book is that it matters how we share the gospel and that we need to understand the gospel well to share it to people in unique ways. Because the gospel can be written, can be written on a card. It, it can be, but it isn't just a canned message that we memorize and share with people regardless of the circumstance and, and apply in the exact same way. Language, culture, life circumstances, timing, relationship, context, these all matter and they, and they play a huge role in how you share the gospel with someone and how they receive it. I think just thinking of our own stories, we didn't all have the same experience of hearing the gospel. We heard it from different people. Some of you heard it in a camp, some of you in a church, some of you from a friend. We're all in maybe different seasons of life when we heard the gospel, yet for each of us, God met us where we were with the gospel. Maybe you were an addict. Maybe you were coming off of a bad breakup or a divorce. Maybe you were really disillusioned with the pleasures of the world and realizing that they just don't really make you happy anymore. Maybe it was in a season of great suffering or abandonment. Or maybe life was good and you had everything you wanted, but you started to realize how empty the things that you pursue in life were. Some of us were kids, some of us teenagers, some of us were adults. And again, considering all of that, you see the beauty of the gospel and the richness of it, that it meets people in so many different places, so many different circumstances, exactly where they were. The gospel is effective because of how it speaks to the specificity of our circumstances. And this is what Jesus is doing here. He knows who these guys are. We know they're, they're low on the totem pole of the fishing industry, you could say. They're dredging away with probably fewer resources and tools than others. They don't have a boat. They don't have a lot of equipment. They're just trying to get by. And it's in that place that Jesus says, I want to give you a new life and I want to give you a new purpose, a transformed one. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you something new. I will take your endless, unsatisfying striving day in and day out. And when you follow me, you'll be working towards something that has an eternal significance and give you great purpose. You're fishermen, but I want to redirect those skills and that mindset towards my kingdom. And just like Simon and Andrew, that same call has come for us, not because we're awesome or special or the most important people, but because Jesus loves us and he wants to redirect us and point us to things of eternal significance in his kingdom. That brings us to our second point this morning. Following Jesus gives gospel purpose. Well, jump with me to verse 19. It says, and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. So if you thought that Jesus was done recruiting fishermen, hold on, because clearly he's, he's not done yet. He needs a couple more. And this time he goes to a different set of brothers, James and John. And we see these guys, these guys are the big time because they got a boat. They're not, they're not casting their nets, standing on the sea, the seashore. No, they're in a boat. But Mark, again, in his very abrupt and short way of writing, 
focuses a lot less on the conversation and on these details and more on what follows. So I want you to look with me at, at verses 18 and 20 to see the responses of both of these brothers to Jesus' call. Verse 18 says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then in verse 20, and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired servants and followed him. Now I want us to pay attention to two key terms here in this section, immediately and left. So first this concept of immediacy. What's abundantly clear at the offset here is that the response of these fishermen to Jesus was immediate. And that was the case for all four of these guys. The kind, of G, the kind of obedience that Jesus is asking them for had some immediate implications on their lives. That's because the mission of Jesus's gospel is urgent. It's life and death. It has eternal significance. His kingdom is here. The call to repent and follow him, it has implications that are so much bigger than their daily life and circumstances. Following Jesus requires prepare, being prepared for action, being sober-minded and, and setting our minds and hearts on Jesus as we see in these guys and their response. And we do see warnings throughout the Old Testament for Christians to not be asleep, but to be awake, to be ready and to be sobered up. Okay, so as I mentioned before, and I've, if those of you who know me know this, I really like research and planning and I kind of over-research everything that I do in my life. But part of that's because I really enjoy learning. I like being well-informed about things. But my wiring is definitely such that I don't really walk into a situation without being equipped with a clear plan of action and a lot of thorough research and perspective. This is definitely true of me when it comes to any time I'm spending money. Obviously, I mentioned with movies, but it's the same case if I'm going to go buy something. I'm really, I really want to know what I'm getting myself into. An example of something that I really love and that will actually make your life better, this is just a freebie in the sermon that is useful, but will make your life better, is a website called Wirecutter. I know some, we have some fans here for sure. So they were actually recently acquired by the New York Times for a massive amount of money because of how popular this website has been. And this is what it is. Basically, they do these legitimate long-term reviews on basically anything that you would want to buy. It's kind of like what Consumer Reports used to be before they make you pay for it now, and now it's kind of, it's kind of fallen by the wayside. So th whether it's electronics, appliances, tools, kitchen, home, gar I mean, literally anything you could imagine, they do these reviews. And what's cool is it's based on actual usage. So it's not on an Amazon reading some you know, Joe, Joe Schmo guy who says like, oh, it was awesome, I liked it, and gives it five stars. No, th these guys are actually use it for like six months, a year, and will show you pictures of how well it's held up over time. It will compare it with other similar products. What are the pros and cons? Did it work well at the beginning, but then five months later kind of fall apart? How does it stack up against the competition? They have a recommended pick, an upgrade pick if you want to spend more money, and a budget pick. So you don't have to even be made of money if you want to buy one of the recommendations. So basically anything you want, an iPhone case, a piece of equipment, a tool, a piece of furniture, they'll give you really good information on how, how to choose and what you should buy. So if you aren't using Wirecutter already, you need to get on this train because I'm totally serious. This is not even for the sermon. I don't care if you think I'm a weirdo or a dork. Go home and Google this because it will make your life better. I love you enough to tell you that you need to use Wirecutter. <laughs> okay, so back on track here. No one wants to waste their money. We all want to know what we're buying when we buy something. We want to we do some research, ask someone. We want a recommendation from someone before we're going to spend some money on something. And a lot of that is because we've gotten burned by leaping too quickly and buying something and it breaks or just hastily purchasing something on Amazon that had a lot of reviews and then we find out it's garbage. So this idea though of thinking before we act, I mean, this is common sense. Generally speaking, planning is really good and is a helpful practice and it's a biblical one as well. 
We see this, this wisdom throughout the New Testament and in the book of Proverbs. James will tell us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. There's a, there's a, a, a waiting, a planning, and a withholding, a self-control that scripture clearly tells us is biblical. However, we have to be warned that a desire for carefulness and excellence and good choices, efficiency, this can actually clash with faithful obedience and trusting in the Lord. Well, James will tell us to be careful later in chapter four, verses 13 through 17, he'll tell us this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. James tells us that constantly projecting out what we're going to do and making plans, like how much money we're going to make and invest and over-focusing on it, it can actually be dangerous. If we live our lives as though we can plan and we can kind of control all of our future, we're ignoring the reality of our own mortality and our own frailty. And what does James call this? Arrogance. Gross. Probably the most hated and one of the most despised human characteristics, pride. Well, rather than making our lives about us and projecting our expectations and our preferences on top of everything, James calls us to live our lives about what God wants, what he wills for us. Ultimately following him rather than following ourselves. There is an urgency to following Jesus. And his, his first disciples, they felt it when he called them and they gave up a lot and followed him. So I need you to hear me right now. We often give ourselves permission to just be lazy. We don't read God's word. We don't pray. We don't prioritize worship. We don't share the gospel because we think it's awkward or uncomfortable. We keep saying later, when my life calms down, when things get easier, we lack urgency. And here's the kicker. James says, we saw right in God's word that knowing the right thing to do and not doing it is sin. Sitting on our hands, being lazy, spiritual procrastination. We have to call it what God's word calls it, sin. I'm not trying to shame you or make you feel bad about yourself today because we are all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this as well. But I need you to feel the weight of his truth, of this truth that we see in God's word, that following Jesus is not about your timing, your convenience and your preferences. It's just not. It's about going all out and jumping into it with him, trusting him with all you have and all you are. Mark highlights the urgency of these fishermen in following Jesus tells us that they went immediately. But it's not just the timing and how quick they left that it matters. We also have to consider the cost. This word left, what is it that they left? He doesn't just tell us that they, they left immediately. Again, he, he lists specifically what it is they left behind. Now, can you imagine someone showing up to your work while you're in the middle of your work day and saying, I want you to follow me and leave your job and leave all this behind and come give it, give it up to come follow me. Or even more, can you imagine like these, some of these guys working in the family business, James and John, they're, they're fishing in the boat with their dad and their servants. This is their life and their family. And someone just walking up and saying, give it up, leave, leave it all behind to follow me. These guys are in a rhythm of life. Like we all are. They're working every day. They're spending time with friends and family. 
and they're trying to build a sustainable existence for themselves like we all try to do. And then Jesus comes along and says, I want you to give that up. And I want you to take your skills, your experiences, your discipline, and I want you to take that and focus it elsewhere and make, make your life about me and really give up your life to serve me. I think we have to be honest how crazy that is. <laughs> I mean, really, that's a pretty insane thing for someone to walk up to you and say. Have you ever had to take a risk like that? Giving up what's familiar, what's safe, or what's stable, or even just what's comfortable to start something new? I know a few of us here are small business owners and I know planting a church and starting a small business, there's some similar parallels there. And I know it's a, quite a step of faith to start a business. You, you really can't do it halfway. You have to put your all into it. You take a lot of risk in order to do it. It's stressful. You know, in planting Story Church, my wife and I, we had to quit our jobs and we had to move and we had to get, change housing and we had to put all of it on the line because we believe this is what God was calling us to do. It was honestly pretty terrifying. And looking back on it, there was some spiritual adrenaline of knowing this is what God wanted us to do that got us through it. But as I look back on it, it's definitely one of the craziest things a planner like me has ever done. I can tell you that. But it wasn't like pushing all your chips in in a game of chance and betting on something because this was obedience. God was calling us to this in so many ways. Clearly, we knew this is what he was asking us to do. And following him, it meant saying no to a lot of other things. It meant leaving friends behind, leaving stable jobs behind, leaving stable community behind. It was hard, to be honest. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall I give a man in return for his soul? Jesus says that following him means denying ourselves and losing our lives in order to save it. When Jesus called the disciples to follow him, he wasn't just asking them to make a sacrifice in that moment because they would continue to follow him and continue to sacrifice for the rest of their lives. You see, following Jesus isn't a momentary mental decision that you make to believe something and to repent of your sin. It's a transformative experience that change really who, it changes who you are. It changes the way you live, what you love, and what you pursue forever for the rest of your life. And it means leaving behind some things. It means leaving behind who you used to be and what you used to be about. Life is no longer about making money or being liked, being successful, avoiding pain, or being comfortable. It's just not. And that doesn't mean that following Jesus will make you miserable. As we saw earlier in the passage, Jesus is actually lifting them out of their circumstances and calling them to a greater, more fulfilling purpose. But, you know, I think sometimes we forget this. If we're honest, we think that following Jesus was a decision that we made a long time ago. We like to have our cake and eat it too, oftentimes in this day and age. We will follow Jesus with our words but then we try to live our own lives on a daily basis, basically according to our priorities and our desires and do what we want. Following Jesus is costly because it's not adding something to your life. It's, it's changing your whole life to be about him. Jesus doesn't want you to add a Christian bumper sticker to your car. He wants you. He wants your family, your possessions, your bank account, your free time, your dreams. He wants your whole heart and he wants you to trust him with it. Following Jesus is about this open-handedness, this willingness to lose everything that you have to gain him and to step into a beautiful life that he has for you. As we saw with these fishermen in Mark 1, 
following him requires obedience. And that obedience as it was for them is for us costly. It requires great sacrifice. Which brings us to our third and final point this morning. Following Jesus requires costly obedience. So first, Mark showed us that following Jesus brings us a kingdom hope. And this is good news for the people of Israel and it's good news for us today because we live in a world that's broken. Our world is broken just as their world was. The sin of mankind has corrupted all that God designed to be beautiful and good. And I know this past year has really felt like a dark cloud hanging over us. And again, I know the stories represented here today. And I know how heartbroken it's made me feel as I've seen ways that you all have, have struggled and suffered this past year. It's been really difficult. And I know we're all pretty exhausted in many ways. And I just want to remind you of that good news that we have today. That's not trite, that Jesus has come. His kingdom is here. And there is an eternal hope in him that defies and transcends all of our circumstances, no matter how hard they are. Second, Mark showed us that following Jesus gives us a gospel purpose. Jesus told these fishermen that he wanted to make them fishers of men. Rather than toiling away after temporary things, he gave them a greater and transformed purpose. So whatever it is that you do for a living, Jesus wants to transform that, your work, your school, whatever your everyday situation is, he wants to transform it into a kingdom purpose. So are you a teacher? A firefighter? Are you a nurse, stay-at-home mom, a business owner, a student, a waiter, creative professional, public servant? Whatever it is that you do, that isn't who you are and it isn't your ultimate purpose. Now your purpose is to work and live in that space and to be a representative for his kingdom and a messenger of his gospel of hope and peace. So work hard, do good, be good at what it is that you do. Be an exemplary model of whatever it is that your daily life is about. Share the hope of Christ that you have with people that probably most of us here will not see or interact with. You have unique relationships and access in your daily life that we don't have. Lastly, Mark shows us that following Jesus requires costly obedience. There's an urgency to following Jesus and it actually requires us to leave some things behind and to sacrifice in order to follow him in the process. And the disciples showed us that the mission of Jesus is worth it. So worth it that they would give up their jobs. They would leave their families in order to follow him. Ultimately, when God calls us to himself, just like these disciples, he gives us the faith we need to walk forward. It's not on our, in our own strength and not on our own shoulders. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, first, I just want to say, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're watching online if you're online. If you haven't been saved by Jesus, I hope you, you see today that there is a loving God who wants to save you, who is inviting you to follow him into a totally new life with new purpose. And Hebrews 4 will tell us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we were. So he actually sympathizes with our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. So he knows your struggles and he knows whatever messiness you feel like you have. So to come to Jesus, you don't have to get your life together. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to have all of the things together. You just have to come to him how you are. He loves you and he's inviting you. And we'd love to talk with you. If you have questions about him, please let me know. We would love to pray with you. Christian, we live in a day and age with so many options. What we watch, what we eat, what we listen to, how we spend our money, what we do with our time. The mission of Jesus is urgent and obeying him requires a willingness to leave some things behind. Yes, certainly the obvious things, sinful things and evil things that we know we shouldn't do, but also some good things that just aren't ultimate things that may actually hinder our walk with Jesus or, or just distract us from the mission. We have to be willing to let those things go. 
So I just want to ask us the honest question. Have we given ourselves permission to be lazy Christians? Do you know what to do, but you choose not to do it sinfully? Friend, I just want to tell you that God wants so much more for you than that kind of life. He wants you to find incredible meaning and joy, purpose and satisfaction walking with him, not running after the things that the world tells you are of value. He wants you to make his life, your life about something else. And he knows that if you make your life about you, your priorities, your preferences, your desires, that path just leads to disappointment, evil and destruction. I can tell you, I've been there. It just doesn't work. So I'm just urging you, it's not worth it. Don't sit on the sidelines of God's story. Following him certainly isn't easy, but it's so worth it. And he's constantly trying to woo you and invite you into following him every single day. Jesus has come. His kingdom is here. So church, let's do it. Let's step into the fray with him. Let's walk with him. Let's put all of it on the line to follow Jesus together. Pray with me. Father God, you are so good to us. It's incredible that we see in your word that our status, our abilities, how strong we are, how equipped we are, that doesn't matter to you. You go after the least of these. You go after people because you love them. Now that you invite us into your kingdom, you invite us to follow you, not because of us, but simply because of how much you love us and how you want something more for us. So God, I pray for those of us that find ourselves in difficult circumstances, that we're discouraged and frustrated, tired, exhausted, God, that that kingdom hope we see, God, we need joy. We need renewed vision and purpose from it, Lord. We need, we need that life to fill us up. God, for those of us who may find ourselves discouraged, distant from you, or maybe even being a little lazy and, and not really following you with our whole selves, God, I ask you to give us the faith, the courage, and the boldness to make great sacrifices, to walk in obedience, and to follow you with all that we are, to give our whole selves to you, not just a little piece, Father. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.